0: The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Let's ask for help as we come before God's Word together. Father, there's a lot in here, in this text, that may bug us, offend us, challenge us. We pray for open minds, Lord. Pray for help open eyes, open hearts, to hear what you have to say. Lord, help me to teach this faithfully and help us all, Lord, to receive what you have to say. Lord, we know that every warning from you is a warning of love so that we'll be ready so that you have what's best for us. We pray that we'd be humble enough to receive it and that you'd move in us enough so that we could live it out. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. When I was about 17 years old, I had uh, curly flowing locks of hair and I played electric guitar in a band and I had a red-headed girlfriend. And I also had a rather inflated view of myself. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> I remember a day when my dad sat me down and he said, look kid, you're out of line and you need to rein things in. He said that My life was going a little crazy, and he said, my driving was worse. He said, you're you're driving like a hellcat. And he told me, if I didn't watch it, I'd pay for it. Well, I was offended. My pride was offended. How many of you know? You know more than your parents, right? It was only the parents who laughed at that. Come on, Dad, it's me. I have things together. I'm telling you, folks, it was the very next day I pull out of my redheaded girlfriend's soccer practice, and I get pulled over for a speeding ticket, reckless driving, the next day. (laughs) I had to go to driving school for a week, but even that wasn't as bad as telling my dad. (laughs) Because he was like... You didn't even make it one day. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. There, I shared my soul with you. Listen, I was offended, but I needed to hear it. I was offended, but I needed to hear it. My dad didn't want to say it, but he loved me. So he told me. Did you listen to our passage for this morning? Pretty much every single part of it is offensive to modern sensibilities. This is offensive. Imagine a modern listener hearing Jesus say these things. Our modern listener would want to pull Jesus aside and be like, Jesus, the devil and his angels? That's not very scientific. Or he might say, Jesus, you just claim that you're going to judge every individual from every nation? Jesus, that's not very tolerant of other people's beliefs. The modern listener might say, don't you know that your religion should be kept private and personal? It's true for you, but not for everybody else out there. And then they'd say, Jesus, eternal fire of hell, bad Jesus. (laughs) It's offensive. How dare you? But what if it's true? What if we need to hear it? What, is, what if Jesus is telling these things to us because he loves us? And what if the events of this passage are the reality of justice? Justice. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of Matthew, Eyewitness Account of the Life of Jesus. We're in chapter 25, and if you've been here with us the past few weeks, you know that this is basically part four of a familiar theme. Jesus wants us to be ready for his return, right? Part four, be ready for his return. So he loves us, he warns us, and this is the final warning. Next week, we see his betrayal. And I think this passage is about justice. Look, you have the four elements, right? Do you have a judge? Yep. Do you have defendants? Yep. Do you have evidence supported to to give whether they're Guilty or innocent, whether they're unjust or just, yes. And do you have a verdict at the end? Yes. It's about justice. So I want to ask you a few questions on the way to understanding the text. Let's come from the outside in. Maybe this will help us understand what the text is talking about. Maybe it will help us with some of the offense. Look, even if we're offended, even if you and I have a little modern listener in us, Can't you agree that we, pretty much we all long for justice? That we all long for justice? The atheist, the agnostic, nearly everyone I've ever come into contact with, we want the wrong to fail and the right to prevail. We want what's right to happen for all people. We believe that the authorities in place should insist on justice, right? Don't you want justice? I do. Next question. Can you have justice without God? Can you do this? Can you have justice without God? Doesn't justice assume that there's a standard out there that we all have to follow, that we all have to submit to? So in other words, justice assumes there's rules that are above us. When do we get the most injustice? Well, that's when the people in power make their own rules, do what they want. Justice comes from when it's like, no, this is the right, this is the true, and we need to, we need to adhere to it together. Well, where on earth is this standard going to come from to which all peoples have to submit to it, that's binding on all people? Where are we going to get this? It has to come from God, otherwise it can't be at all. If there's no God, justice is just a construct, right, of the random evolutionary process. If there's no God, I have my opinion, you have your opinion, there I have their opinion. Who's right? Who's right? Well, the right can't prevail in that situation because there is no right. There's no such thing as right. Instead, the might will prevail. The strongest will survive and the strongest will decide what justice is and guaranteed that will be injustice. Can you have justice without God? You can't. Here's my next question. Okay, but if there's a God, do you really want justice? Do you really want justice? He makes the standard for what's right. What is that standard? Jesus summarized it in two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That would be just. That would be righteous. Justice, righteousness are nearly synonyms. Have you done that? Second one, love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's really key for justice. Love your neighbor, everybody out there, every single one, love them as yourself. Have you done that? Are you just? Are you righteous? I'm telling you, I have broken these commands backwards and forwards a million times. I have not lived a just life. I have been unjust. So if I wanted to call down justice on the bad guys, what if God said to me, well, do you want some too? Never mind. <laughs> Next question. If we are unjust according to the just standard, how can we ever be accepted by a holy God who insists on perfect justice? He's just. God has never, nor will he ever, swept a sin under the rug. Every sin will receive its just payment. Every single one so how can we possibly be made right made to be seen as just well this is the beauty of the gospel right jesus is the only one who was ever perfectly completely absolutely just and righteous he's the one with integrity and on the cross he took care of justice for me so i deserve god's punishment for what i've done and i deserve a lot and God is giving out his justice. Remember, he never, he never just sweeps the sin under the rug. He is punishing my sins. He's just doing them. He's just doing that punishment on a willing substitute who's taking it for me in my place. And so the beauty of what the gospel gives us, we read it this morning. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was treated like sin, so I would be made righteous. So that when God the Father looks at me through faith in Jesus, through trusting in him, I get united to Jesus and what he's done and who he is. And so God sees me through Jesus-colored glasses and says, oh, you're righteous, you're just in the perfection of my son. That's yours by faith. It's mine by faith. It's a gift. So here's what I'm trying to say. I went way too fast, but here's the idea. If there is true justice, there's a God, he's just I'm unjust, Jesus makes me just. If there is true justice, the only way for you and I to be considered just is to trust in Jesus. That's what I'm saying. The only way is to trust in Jesus. So, your response to Jesus determines whether or not you can be considered just or righteous. Your response to Jesus Okay, now with that on your mind, imagine now that we are at this end-of-the-world courtroom. Jesus is the king. He's on his throne. He's the judge. We're all defendants, every single person in the world from every nation. Only Jesus can make us righteous, just. Here's the big question. What's the evidence that you have responded to Jesus? What's the evidence? And what will his verdict be? on your life, on my life. That's the setup for this passage. So we have three pieces to look at. One, the judge. Two, the defendants and the evidence. And three, the blessing. One, the judge. Two, the defendants and the evidence. Three, the blessing. Number one, the judge. Please look with me. Verse 31 when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glory's throne. All right, first question, who is the Son of Man? Why does Jesus call himself this? Well, this is language that looks back to the prophet Daniel, okay? Hundreds of years before, Daniel had a vision of God sitting in judgment of the, on the world, and all the kingdoms of the world fail, but here comes this one person this one person who's different who stands out Daniel 7 verses 13 to 14 Daniel says I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So who's the son of man? King of everything. King of every nation. And they're all responsible to him. And he can judge all of them. And what's Jesus saying about himself? That's me. I'm that guy. I'm the one who judges everything. Every person from every nation. If you just pause for a moment, is that just the most incredible claim ever? That is just crazy. Can Jesus just be a good teacher after a claim like that? Jesus is not just a good teacher. That's impossible. This is either a lie, right? Or he's, he's the judge of all. Do you imagine the knowledge and the power it takes to be able to get everybody there somehow? And know them perfectly and judge them justly. Wow, what a claim about himself. That's me, Jesus says. He's going to prove it by his resurrection. Second, what's he going to do? He's the son of man who will judge the nations. He's going to judge every individual from every nation. So look at verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He'll separate people one from another as a a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Supposedly a shepherd may have both goats and sheep, and at night they didn't do so well together, so at night he separates them. Okay, that's all, the, that's all the meaning behind sheep and goats. Okay, They're separate. They're different. They're not the same. There's two groups, sheep and goats. There's two groups of people. The people that go to the right and the people that go to the left. Jesus has just done a very sobering thing. He has put every single person who's ever lived into one of two groups, and he he, he claims the complete right and authority to do this. One on one side, one on the other, and here's here's where the passage hits. You and I, each one of us, will be in one of these groups. We will. Now let's look at the defendants. Defendants. And the evidence. First, those who go to the right, verse thirty-four. Then the king will say to those on his right, "Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world." So, first thing you see, what do they get? Do they inherit the the kingdom. They get the kingdom. So here is the king saying, "Here, I want to share all of mine, all that's mine, with you. You get to enjoy it. You get to participate in it." You get to have it. And why do they get it? Well, it's repeated several times in the passage. They're righteous. What is his verdict on their life? You're right. You're right with me. You lived rightly. You're just. You are just. He is saying the just thing. He's saying this is my judgment as the judge. The just thing, the right thing is that you are innocent. You were just, and so you get to have the kingdom. Why do they get to have the kingdom? They're righteous. Okay, so if you're in a courtroom and the verdict is righteous, what do we need? Evidence. What evidence do we have that they were righteous? How do we know? Look at verse 35. For, right, this is the evidence, for I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. I, 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 I. Who's the I? Jesus is talking. Jesus is talking. So, as you're reading along with me, the question is, what's the evidence that you're righteous? We said earlier, the only way to be righteous, it's your response to Jesus. It's the only way. And the evidence of these people's lives is when Jesus was hungry, when Jesus was in prison, when Jesus was naked, what did these people do? They served him. They helped him. They sacrificed their own kingdom for his benefit. They responded in love to Jesus, didn't they? The evidence that they were righteous was their response to him. There it is. But wait a second. Verse 37. The righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we do that? When did we see you hungry, feed you, thirsty, give you drink? When did we see you a stranger? I mean, you can imagine the heavenly courtroom glorified, awesome Jesus. And they're like, I was there for a while. I don't remember seeing you. (laughs) I don't remember seeing you. When did we do that? And here's the kicker. Here it is, verse 40. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it, To one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus said, the evidence that you're righteous is how you responded to me. And they said, when did we respond to you? And he said, you responded to me when you responded to somebody else. Right? You responded to me when you responded to somebody else. Who is that? This is the big question for the text. Who is that? Who are the least of these, my brothers? Some modern thinkers have thought that it's the poor in general. If you serve the poor, you're righteous. Now, just by the way, does the Bible tell you to serve the poor? Yes. The Bible tells you to serve the poor. Is that who we're talking about in this passage? Well, try to plug it in. Think about it. I think it means something. Jesus says, brothers of mine, doesn't he? I think it means something to be a brother or a sister of Jesus. Are you with me? Hebrews 2, he says, they're not." He's, he's, he, in Hebrews 2, the, uh, the author talks about those who are being sanctified, those who are being made holy. Jesus says he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Plus, if we plug this in, I mean, do you get to be a brother of Jesus? Do you get to be saved because you're poor? How'd that work, right? Hey, I got a job. Great. I know the only downer is now I can't be Jesus' brother. Yeah, too bad. Um, hey, why are you in? Well, I had to take some people out. Oh, it's tough. But now that you're in prison, at least you get to be Jesus' brother. Makes it all worth it. It doesn't work, right? What's the What's the standard of living? You know that Jesus' brother, not now. It can't be that way. Look, Jesus has dealt with this before in this book, Matthew chapter 12, 46 and following. Jesus is teaching the people, and Jesus' own mothers and brothers, own mother and brothers stand outside. They ask to speak with him, and he responds with this question, verse 48. He replied to the man who told him, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? So, boom, this is exactly what we need, right? Jesus raised the question, who are brothers? My mother and my brothers. Verse 49, stretching out his hand towards his who? Disciples. He said, ah, there's my mom and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, my mother. In context there, the will of the Father in heaven is to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. If you trust in him, what does that make you? Family. That's why when it says in Hebrews that he's not ashamed to call us brothers, that's one of my favorite lines. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his sister. Put his arm around you. That's my girl. That's my sister. He's not ashamed to call you his brother. That's my guy. Put his arm around you. When you've trusted in him, you're family. God is our father. You've been adopted. We're family. So the least of these, my brothers, these are his disciples. It has to be. Therefore, the question is, okay, he's put these people on the right, he says, you get to have the kingdom. Why? You're righteous. What's the evidence? The evidence that you're righteous is how you've responded to Jesus. And we see, Jesus says, how you respond to Jesus in how you respond to whom? His people. When did we feed you, clothe you, visit you, and all that stuff? When you did it to my disciples, that's when you did it. That's when you did it. Again, is Jesus telling us only to love Christians and forget about it with the rest of the world? Read the Bible. No way. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Serve the poor. Love them all. Okay? It's a big Bible. Lots of stuff in there. But in this passage, the emphasis, the emphasis is what? This is how we know you love Jesus if you love one another. Look at John 13:35. Jesus says it like this, by this all people will know that you're my disciples, if what? If you have love for one another. It only makes sense, right? It only makes sense. If I'm moved by what Jesus has done for me and he and I know his love for me. Well, if he loves me like this by grace through faith, who else does he love? He loves you. And how can I say I've received his love and I love him if I won't love you? Are you saved by how well you love other Christians? I hope not. No. No. Is how you love other Christians evidence that you're saved? Yes. Yes. The evidence, look at at how this connects. Jesus makes you righteous. It's by grace through faith. But how you respond to Jesus determines whether or not you're righteous, whether or not you're just. And the evidence that you love Jesus and you trust in him is how you love his people. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? We've looked at all these ways Jesus is preparing us. We want to endure to the end, chapter 24. We want to have faith, we saw. We want to be faithful. You know what else you want to have as you're ready for Jesus to come back? You want to have lived a life of love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Which is why, you know, there's books out there. They love Jesus, but not the church. I get it. I get it. I remember people told my parents the reason that my brother's handicapped is because they don't have enough faith. It happened in the church. I get it. Church people can be mean, hypocritical. I get it. But if you look at this passage, can you say, I love Jesus, but I don't love his people? Jesus might call your bluff on that one. No, you don't. Sober warning. What's evidence of your faith? We love and serve one another. That's evidence of our faith. That was the group on the right. Now the group on the left. Verse 42. I was hungry. You gave me. Whoops. So he takes the group on the right. Enjoy my kingdom forever. The group on the left. Ah, 41. He'll say to those on his left. Gosh, you guys, I didn't make this up. This is Jesus, okay? Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire pre- prepared for the devil and his angels. That's about as big and as awful as it can be, isn't it? Terrible. Sobering. Awful. What's going on? Well, again, the question is... well. Okay, you're just, you're righteous. Come over here. What's the evidence? You responded to me, and the evidence you responded to me was you loved my people. You're not righteous on this side. Well, what's the evidence? Well, look how they treated Jesus, 42 to 43. I was hungry. You gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You didn't welcome me. I was naked. You didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You didn't visit me. Here I am, the son of man, the king of kings, the one who came to give you salvation. I was there. I was hurting. You didn't care. Your response to me was disdain. You don't want me. You didn't trust in me. didn't honor me. You don't care for what I did. You don't care for who I am. There, on that day, the son of man, the king of kings, will say, the reason you're cursed is because I came for you and you hated it. You're totally unmoved. I was there, I was naked, I was hungry, I was sick. You didn't care, you didn't do anything. And they'll say the same thing. What? When did we see you? If I'd seen you there, I might have done something. You know, you remember in Matthew 24, it's the same, same message. Jesus said, there's going to be all this tribulation, all this mess, but the church, the gospel's got to be preached to all nations. And he said, what did he say to his disciples? When you do this, it's going to be hard, you're going to be persecuted. So the idea is God's people are going out through the world to tell people about Jesus. And then the nations will be judged by their response to these people because these people represent Jesus himself. When did we see you? Verse 45, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And so if we're made righteous by our response to Jesus, Jesus is the only way to make us righteous. The evidence of how we treat God's people is evidence of how we respond to Jesus. And if we disdain and don't serve and don't love God's people, well, guess what that means about us? We, we don't love Jesus. And if we reject Jesus, then how on earth will we, will be, will we be seen as righteous? How on earth will we be just? We will go into that courtroom without a mediator, without a priest, without a representative. See, I can walk into that room because I know Jesus will stand for me. He's promised it. I get his life in my place. So do you if you've trusted in him. I can, he mediates for us, right? But if I've rejected do you want to go in the courtroom on your own? Here's my life, God. I was a good person. Except I wasn't. You know, strangely, ironically, everybody gets what they want. Everybody gets what they want. What do God's people want? Jesus, we want you. What do they get? They get Jesus. And on the other side, Jesus, we don't want you. And guess what Jesus will say to them? Okay. Okay. Don't have me. Depart from me. It's as if he's saying, you know what? You wouldn't really like heaven anyway. (laughs) Heaven's all about me. If you can't stand me, heaven will be a downer for you. The only problem is the other option's even worse. Depart from me into the eternal file prepared for the devil and his angels. Why does he bring this up? I think it's a biblical theme and a biblical truth that you follow your leader. You follow your leader. If you want Jesus, you follow him to where he goes. You walk through him. You walk with him through life, right? Take up your cross and follow me. Enjoy resurrection. You follow him. But if Jesus isn't your leader, who is? You know, we think of the devil and we think of pentagrams and sacrifices and fangs or something. It's way more subtle than that. The devil can look really beautiful, really attractive. But his main thing is this. He hates Jesus. He hates him. And look, if we're talking about justice, isn't justice depending on the value of what you've sinned against or not? It depends on the value. What's justice for if you... uh, Steal a candy bar. Don't do that. What's justice if you kill somebody? Well, it should be a lot worse. Why? Because a person is infinitely more valuable than a candy bar. It depends on the value of the thing sinned against. What is Jesus' value? How valuable is he? And how many times have you sinned against him? How many times have we demeaned him? Ellie Wiesel said the opposite of love isn't hate, it's what? Indifference. I don't hate Jesus. He's a good teacher. I listen to him when I feel like it. Sounds like indifference. Infinite crime. And by the way, people aren't in hell begging to repent. There's no evidence like that in the Bible. They're continuing their hatred for Jesus forever. Infinite crimes against an infinite value. What does justice call for? Infinite punishment. It's fair, it's just, it's awful. It's a sobering passage. What do you want on your life's resume? I want to respond to Jesus so I can be made righteous. And I want the evidence of that response to be what? Love for his people. Love for his people. Now, how heavy is this? Isn't this one of the heaviest passages we've ever had to walk through? You know, I can, I can hear the questions. Have I, have I done this enough? Have I loved God's people enough? Am I going to make it? Does it feel like a gospel of works? If you love them enough, you're in. Does it feel like that? Or what if we're really super honest and we're like, I don't even like these people. <laughs> they were, I don't even care about these people. Because, Listen. Who's the church for you? Who are the least of these for you? Oh, I'm, th- I'm thankful and I'm happy that we have this partner church in Haiti, right? If you give to this church, if you're a partner in this church, guess what we've been doing? We've been feeding and clothing the least of these. Praise God. It's an evidence of our faith, isn't it? We've sacrificed for that. God gets the glory. Praise God. We've been doing that. Amen. Amen. But what about here in in your everyday life? Who are the Christians you know and interact with that you can serve? So often we talk about love. Do you love people? Oh, yeah, I love them. Who do you love? I don't know, just those people. Do you love the church? Love the church. Which church? You know, that church. Do you love God's people? I love them so much. How do you love them? I don't know. I think happy thoughts about this vague group. None of that's love. Love is forgiving someone who's hurt you. Love is being there somehow when they need you. All of these examples are sacrificial. You know, when, when Jesus talks about you visited me in prison... The early church was in prison a lot because of political problems. And if you went to visit them in prison, guess how that marked you. Oh, you're friends with them? We're coming after you too. Every single one of these things was a sacrifice. I was naked, you took off your shirt and you gave it to me. I was in prison, you took the risk and you visited me. This is... A radical way of living that takes real relationships and real resources. Are we doing it enough? Do we even want to do it? How do we do it? That's why we need this last point, the blessing. Listen, this is not salvation by works. This is not salvation by works. Look at the blessing. Listen, if your response to Jesus makes you just, and your love for Jesus' people is evidence of your love for Jesus, there's a deeper level of evidence. There's something that comes even before that. What is it? Look at verse 34. What did Jesus say to this righteous group of people? Come, you who are what? Blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from when? The foundation of the world, when was that? It was a long time ago. It was before you were born and it was made for you, blessed by my father. The reason we can love Jesus people as a result of our response to Jesus is because we were loved first. The fact that we love Jesus people because we've responded to him is evidence we were already loved. We've been blessed. What is the blessing in the book of Matthew? In Matthew 16, Jesus says to his disciples, okay, who do you say that I am? There's all these opinions about Jesus out there. In verse 16, Simon Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus says, you're super smart, Peter. Varsity for you. No, what's he say to Peter? Blessed are you. You've received blessing. The blessing is an outpouring of God's love. God's love God must love you, Peter, because you and I both know you're a meathead. And the only way you came to this is because God loves you. Blessed are you. Why? For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But who? My Father is in heaven. If you trust in Jesus, it's because you're already loved. That don't do this. Don't think, well, I'm not sure if I'm loved. I'm not sure if I can trust in Jesus. That's not the way it works. Trust Jesus and know that you are loved. He's drawing you to himself. And then we get to something like Romans 3, 21, all about justice, righteousness. When the Father enables you, opens your eyes to see your need for Jesus. Look, what's given to you simply by faith? Romans three twenty one. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That means you can't earn it. So how are we getting right with God apart from earning it? Verse 22. The righteousness of God through what? Faith in Jesus Christ for who? All who believe. So if you believe in Jesus, you are righteous look at this blessing from God before the foundation of the world he said i'll have you and i'll give you my i'll give you my kingdom he awakened you so that you'd trust jesus and he united you to jesus so that all of jesus perfection is yours you're righteous you're loved in the past you're loved in the present you're loved in the future verse 46 The righteous will go into eternal life. What happens if we put 34 and 46 together? It's prepared for you from the foundation of the world into what? Eternal life. Have you ever not been loved if you're in Christ? Before the foundation of the world, all the way into eternal life. Blessed. This passage is about evidence, but the evidence is not what saves you. It just shows you're saved. What saves you? In Ephesians 2, and we don't have a slide for that, Paul Paul says you're saved by grace through faith. I love that so much. Because if I was saved by faith, now I am in a way, when it comes to comparing it to works. I'm not saved by works, I'm saved by faith. Not Not a doing, a trusting. And yet, when we press down into it, I'm not even saved by faith. Ultimately, faith isn't the source, it's a tool. I'm saved by grace. How's that different? Faith is something I do, grace is something God does. He saves me by His grace. Because if I could lose it, I would. If it was based on the strength of my faith, it wouldn't be enough. It's not is based on the strength of his grace in Jesus Christ. And my trust connects me to that. How do you you get to where you want to love God's people? There's only one way. It's not being like, oh my gosh, if I don't love enough, I won't go to heaven. That will never work. You'll be scared for 30 minutes, and then you'll forget about it. The way to love God's people is to be so moved by how much you've been loved by God. I was unjust. Jesus was just for me. He chose me. He sent his son for me. His son accomplished everything for me in his life, his death, his resurrection. He sent his spirit to awaken me, open my eyes to trust in him. He made me righteous right then. He's with me right now, and he's gonna carry me all the way into eternal life. I'm so loved. I didn't deserve an ounce of it. I'm so loved. He stuck with me. Doesn't he stick with you in your mess? How quick do you change in your life? I bring that up because we have relationships, right? How quick do you want people in your life to change? I'm going to change my husband. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> if only these people would change. Then I'd love them. I'll love the church when they're lovable. How quick do you change? It's taken me 38 years and all I have is this. Fail. Jesus is stuck with me. He loves me. He sticks with you. He loves you. When you know that, What will we do for one another? We'll stick it out for one another. We'll love one another. Fountain of life, I think you're really good at this, generally speaking. I think you're really good at this. I think you love to meet one another's needs. Keep going. I think it'll look good in heaven. I think Jesus will say, I didn't have anybody to take me to the doctor and you took me. Jesus will say, I was a poor kid in Haiti and you came to me. Jesus will say, I was lonely and broken, you listened to me. And on and on and on and on and on. So let's keep going. Let's do it more. Because love, sacrificial love for God's people is evidence that we've responded to Jesus and that we're righteous. So what he's saying here basically is, receive the blessing, be the blessing, enjoy the blessing. Receive it. How do you receive it? Trust Jesus. If you haven't trusted Jesus, if you're looking at your life and I'm like, I'm a, I'm a religious performer, but my heart doesn't trust him, and trust him, give your life to him. He'll make you righteous. Receive the blessing and know that you're loved. It's all by God's grace. Number two, because you're loved, you've received the blessing. What? Be the blessing. Be the blessing everywhere you possibly can. Christians are not, of course, especially to Christians, because it shows something. Be the blessing. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? One way you'll be ready is you'll say, yes, I've loved other believers. It doesn't save you, but it's evidence. How you doing? Ask yourself, am I sacrificially loving these people the way I want to be when Jesus comes back? Is this a priority for me? Receive the blessing, be the blessing, and guess what? You're going to enjoy the blessing forever from the foundation of the world, the righteous, into eternal life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this loving church that we're in. We're not perfect. We mess it up a lot, but it's genuine. I pray we'd hear these sober words, Lord, that we would trust in you, Lord Jesus, and we went on to live out what you've said by loving your people. Lord, help us to be amazed and moved and overwhelmed by your eternal love for us. Love from the foundation of the world that takes us into eternal life. And then help us, Lord, to love one another. And Father, we pray that we would just sense the seriousness of your justice and we'd look to you, Jesus, for all we need, that we would go out really sharing the gospel with those who haven't trusted in you so they can be right with you. And Lord, give us lives of love. Let it be a passion for us to love and to serve one another for your glory, to show that we belong to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.